Before we get started today, Tim Schisler, please email me your shipping address so I can send you your Piper Drive V2 in return for supporting the show. Uh, Anchor, unfortunately, won't let me email you, won't give me any contact information, which is probably a good thing in the long run. Uh, but it won't let me email you or contact you, and you're not in the Facebook lounge. So, send me an email. Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Tota Scriptura. I am Cody Fields, president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects. You can check us out at westminstereffects.com. Make sure you join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Joining me in person this week, this is Bradley Cox, pastor at Res- Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. Had a little trouble getting that one out. This Sorry. Time. <laughs> My brain's in a million <laughs> Y'all, you and me both. John is not with us. He has his first ever eye appointment. Uh, for some reason, it makes it just makes me jealous because I have astigmatism in both eyes, nearsighted, all that kind of stuff. And uh, Oh, that would be nice to just not worry about that. But anyway, we will soldier on. Soldier on. Uh, with contacts in and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so church this week. Uh, I played electric guitar poorly, um, <laughs> but it was, it was, I was distracted by this knee thing I got going on where it's like, no, don't, don't power stance. That'll hurt. Um, did I tell you that story? Mm-mm. And I don't remember if, uh, if I told this story last week. So playing church softball last week, it didn't happen when I got a hit. It didn't happen. Pete has me playing at second base right now. I guess to short middle infield a little bit. I don't know. Um, But I laid out for a pop-up so hard that my hat popped off and I got grass inside my sunglasses. Oh my gosh, Cody. Didn't happen with that. Nothing during the game. It was I crouched during the post-game prayer and when I stood up, my knee subluxed. Goodness. <laughs> it wasn't like the time I blew during up during the post game Yeah, exactly. It wasn't like it wasn't like when I blew up my ankle years ago at the trampoline park with the youth lock in and then I slid in my first game back for a takeout slide and you yelled at me. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude. Just an injury magnet is all. That's all. You need to like come up with a better story than that. I right? know. <laughs> I know. You should see the other guy. Um but yeah, so I I didn't play all that great, but the response was really good. Yeah, which, it was. Which was which was fun to see. Um, we played for the first time. We played uh, Shane and Shane's rendition of "There Is a Fountain," mm-hmm. and that's a lot of fun. I got to use a slide. Uh-huh. Um, and, I like that. By yeah, the way. and going and going old school like that is. I mean, there's just I've said it a million times. The hymns are, you know, the classic hymns at least. Not mm-hmm. there's a, there's crap on the door, which is an actual hymn. Look it up. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So uh, yeah, but we were also in Romans nine again. We were. Um, which is blowing up some paradigms, like like you even said in in your sermon. Um, where were we? We were more toward the end, right? We were getting into. Uh, who are you, O oh man? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Pharaoh, for this purpose, I raised yep, him up. Yep. Uh, vessels of mercy, vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction. Having having mercy on whoever he wills, and hardening whoever he wills, and it's dense, man. And you, um, 
like I told the church, I think, you know, you can't just do a surface reading of Romans 9. You got to dig on this. You really have to dig. And I, I mean, I'm always, I always advocate that, you know, anybody and everybody can read and understand scripture and you don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have, um, you know, a library full of commentaries to, to understand the Bible um, and I would still say that's true even of Romans 9. Um, but because but you're going to have to dig. You're going to have to right. ask questions. You can't just read. Uh, you shouldn't read any portion of Scripture this way, um, but you certainly cannot read Romans 9. Uh, just like go through it, read the words that are there, and come away and go, oh, yeah. you've got to think. You've got to ask questions. You've got to... You gotta you gotta insert yourself into the questions that Paul's asking, or, or Paul's raising, and then you gotta ask more questions. I think in order to, you know, really understand the heart of what he's saying there, um, because that's a big deal. I mean, I, you know, I had somebody text me this morning that's you know um, said, you know, thank you for the message. I'm so grateful that God is writing my story. You know? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a that's a, a theme in Romans nine is God's writing a story, and in that story are vessels of mercy. You yep. know, Jacob, Isaac, Abraham, uh, and then I think in in one point in chapter nine he points to us, even us who are called, not only from the Jews but, but from the Gentiles, the Gentiles yeah. also. And um, and then in that story that God's writing, there's also vessels of wrath. Um, in any way you interpret that, however that whatever implications you uh, come to from what you know whatever you think that might mean in terms of the people's potential for saving fellowship with the living God, um, in God's story there are vessels of wrath. Yep. And that that is absolutely clear, and um, that's a hard that's a hard pill to swallow. Right. And um, so yeah, I think. I got a text from someone this morning that was really appreciative of that. And then, you know, there were a couple of people I've talked to since Sunday service that were like, not negative, but like, wow, whoa, Mm -hmm. that's God isn't, uh, I'm probably going to say it terribly, but it's, we often in American Christianity think, you know, God is almost kind of like warm and fuzzy, like only, like he he is, he is gentle toward his children, but at the same time, like he is the sovereign God of the universe (laughs) who holds it in the palm of his hand. Mm -hmm. And, uh, as you, uh, read from Exodus, Moses couldn't look at his face and live. Yeah. Like there's, there's a, there's an unbridled power there. Um, and then, you know, vessels of wrath and what, what if God does, I mean, basically saying desiring to show his wrath off. Yeah, uh, his uh, for the, a purpose though. Right, I think right. He, not not just arbitrarily. Right, he's not he's not just an angry god who's right. just mad at everybody and and wants to put his wrath on display. Um, there's a purpose for the wrath, which Paul says, in, you know, in order to make known his power, um, to put his wrath on display for his glory. Mm-hmm. For the vessels of mercy, so there's a contrast that God is, you know, is is putting out there in His story, um, in order to accentuate, magnify His own glory. And so, yeah, we had to wrestle with that yesterday. 
but I think it went well. I think it was good. Yeah, and like I've I've been listening to uh, Jay Gresham Machen's Christianity and Liberalism, where he you know, just outright makes the case theological liberalism is a different religion than Christianity. Hmm. Um, it, like it's a totally different system. They have different core messages, etc. And how often uh, the theological liberal will use will just say the cross is simply a display of love or self sacrifice, and while those things are true they're massively incomplete. Mm. You look at the cross, and yes, there is love, there is grace, there's also God's wrath and hatred of sin. Mm. You can't have just one of those, because if it's a display of love, well, what do you do about sin? Because mm. if God just doesn't do anything about it, then he's not just. Yeah, right. And if it's only wrath, then there's no grace, and we should be terrified of God all the time. Exactly. And so there's there's that balance found within Christianity, rightly understood, yeah. that just encompasses everything. <laughs> it's, it's it's like it's consistent or something. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, I guess to our our topic this week, Brad Speed uh, posted in the podcast lounge, and I think it was John who said that this would be a good discussion where Brad has been looking for a worship leading position or something of the sort. And he's found that he is often too modern for the traditional churches and too traditional for modern churches. And this is an interesting dichotomy that we have going on in the church today, right? Mm-hmm. Where where it's, you know, a lot of people, it's, you know, you have a piano or an organ, which everybody's got to admit, a, a old school pipe organ sounds legit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's nothing like them. Uh, but, you know, some of those churches that still have those things, it's they're not straying from that period. Right. And then you have your more modern churches, which often look like a rock concert, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, mm-hmm. just stating facts. Um, and they're not budging from that. There's right. no chance that they're going to strip down a Sunday service. Right, right. So where do we find that balance? <laughs> I, like, I, I actually think we've kind of found a little bit of that balance here at Res, right? I think where, so. Where we've got electric guitars, we usually play more modern stuff. We don't have strobes, but we do have lighting uh, yeah. that's not just like fluorescent lights. <laughs> right, right. We keep it fairly understated with, you know, lighting and effects. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're not... We're not piping in fog machines and mm-hmm. saying that the Holy yeah. Spirit's moving through the fog or... <laughs> Yeah. Interestingly enough, when we were in Mexico, uh, we went to a church, you know, there in Cancun and it was a, it's a pretty large church. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, maybe 1500 people. Um, and they're, they're modern. Yeah. Uh, They do modern worship. Um, and they had, they had a smoke machine. It was like, I mean, they're the, the, the cool thing is, is they were just very sweet, genuine people. There wasn't a lot of pomp and circumstance. Right. And they got up there, and their music was good. It's very well done. Uh, good musicians and singers. Um, and they start the set, and they're going through it, and it's great. And then all of a sudden, I see the smoke start coming in from the <laughs> side, and I just kind of nudged my wife, and, and we kind of had a laugh about that. So you know, I'm not against it, but... I'm not going to buy a fog machine. I don't yeah, that much. It, it does seem a little superfluous a lot of times. It now, does. It, it does make lighting look amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. But there comes a point where 
uh, a lot of churches are relying on, whether you're talking about traditional or modern, they rely on that to produce results, yep. which looking at Romans 8 and 9 recently, that, that's no. <laughs> God has ordained the ends and the means, yeah. and if 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 a light bulb goes out, that doesn't mean that God's going to stop working. That's right. That's right. So Brad is looking for a job. Uh, it's it, or I, I or so. just a just not necessarily vocational, but he's looking for a place to be involved. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, where <clears throat> and this it seems that we run across this kind of mindset a lot in in the podcast group. Mm-hmm. Is you know we love the old hymns. We like guitars. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of why this podcast started. But at the same time, it's like so many churches are either or with nothing in between. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how old Brad is um, and how long he's been doing this. Um, I, I've been in this long enough that I've seen so much change mm-hmm. in the last 20 years. Oh, yeah really the last 25 years um, because, and I've, I've probably talked about this before on the podcast, but the, you know, when I was in college was when I feel like the wave, the tsunami of contemporary worship was really just yep. arriving on the shore. Yeah. Right. I mean, you had, you had, you know, churches like Hillsong were mm-hmm. brand new on the scene. Yep. You know, Chris Tomlin was, you know, probably still in diapers at that point. Not <laughs> literally, but I mean, th- you had you had churches like that that were starting to write this stuff. Um, um, and and it was it was this new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Right. And for college students, you know, we just embraced that. Yeah. Fully, because all of most of us, at least at the college I attended, most of us came out of traditional churches mm-hmm. where we never had done any of this kind of contemporary music. Mm-hmm. And we had a really great worship leader um, on our campus who started introducing all this stuff. And we were just enamored with it. I mean, it was, yeah. we had so, some incredible services, incredible worship, just soaking up all this stuff. And, and the mindset quickly developed um the camps developed it was you're either contemporary or you're traditional Mm -hmm. and the two you know dug their heels in on on either side of that Mm -hmm. and warred with each other i called it the worship wars oh yeah and i was when i graduated college and went to work in in the first church as a worship pastor I was right in the middle of all of that. There was a Mm -hmm. church that had a fairly young pastor who wanted to move in more of a contemporary direction, but yet he had the piano and the organ and the organist and the choir and choir robes and the people that were demanding hymns who gave the most money. Yeah. And there was, there was a huge tension there in all of that. And, hymns were like boring. You don't want to do those. We don't even want to hear those anymore. Put the hymn books away. I mean, at this point... I just hear R.C. Sproul saying, what's wrong with you people yeah, right now? It, it was like, <laughs> put all that stuff away, man. Let's get rid of the hymn books. And, you know, we, you know, we were in the throes of the transition between overhead projectors with... Uh, with the transparencies. With the transparencies, yes. 
right? Where you got to make sure you spell check those things, right? I mean, before you printed it out, right, right, right. <laughs> before you printed it out, and 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 then moving into screens with you know um, you know video projectors and all that kind of stuff. We I was in all of that, and then here we are, twenty twenty five years later, and your generation and the generation behind you. Mm-hmm is really a lot of them are enamored with the hymns. Let's yeah. bring those back. Yeah. Let's, you know, there, there's even, I think, a shift, a, a distaste that's growing for the smoke machines and the yep. heavy lights and the heavy production. Yep. Let's move back towards a more organic, simple... Keith's favorite word. Right. <laughs> Let, let's move back in that direction. You know, let's bring the organ yeah. back out because the organ's cool now. Yeah. And so I say all that to say this to Brad. You know, right now, there, there is a, I think, change, change is happening again in the church in terms of, in America, in terms of worship style, what we prefer. There's, there's more and more and more and more churches are going to communion every week, incorporating more liturgy. Um, you know, the, the, the quote-unquote modern worship Mm-hmm. style is actually on the way out, I think. I think so, too. I think it really is. I think you're going to see more organic, more simple, more authentic, more in the round, more family, more mm-hmm. voice accentuated than necessarily yep. band accentuated. Yep. I think all those changes are happening. And so what I would say to Brad is I would say, I would pray, I would be led by the Lord, I would find a church that you feel comfortable with the leadership, the vision, the teaching, the direction of the church spiritually, and then just get in there and serve. Even if the style of worship doesn't check all the boxes for you right now. Yep. Right. Let it develop. Let it grow. Like the, I think the mistake that I made, if Brad wants to, again, I don't know how old Brad is. He might be my age. I, but if you want to learn from my mistakes, when I was in my 20s, I... I was so focused on what I thought was the best style that I really lost sight of the fact that I'm here in the church to serve. I'm here in the church to, you know, lead the people of God in worship, you know, and whatever that looks like, Mm -hmm. however that sounds, whatever instruments that includes, whatever songs end up in our set really isn't the point as much as it is. Let's let's sing music that, you know, is doctrinally sound moves people to, you know, respond to God, focus on God, worship together, and and just do that, and just serve the church, man. Because I'm telling you, in 10 years, we're going to be having the same question with different elements. Mm -hmm. Maybe even in five years, we're going to be having the same question with different elements. And I think... You know, pastors need to need to be flexible with this. They need to they need to pay attention and 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 really be willing to grow and adapt to what's going to be most effective for the people that God's given you to shepherd. Yeah, I think I have kind of a more unique perspective on it because I don't tend to like this. I don't typically enjoy the style of most modern worship stuff mm-hmm. it just in terms of that's not something i would generally listen to like i'm, I'm a metalhead yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> like i listen to much more aggressive forms of music so yes i can definitely appreciate the the musicality of a lot of worship stuff or you know hey that was a cool riff mm-hmm. good tones whatever but ultimately what i'm looking for is is the content 
is it arranged well and, and is it and is it true yeah you talk about millennials more and more rejecting uh just having a show like that's they're even doing sociological studies on that kind of thing that's right. is is we want truth and we're just kind of tired of church as a show and and you see that over and over again with uh different uh, formerly Christian musicians apostatizing. Yeah. I think of uh, Under Oath, for example, a, a Christian hardcore band that I'm sure you've listened to for dozens of hours. Oh, man. <laughs> but they were they were huge uh, 10, 15 years ago, like absolutely enormous. They broke up for a few years, came back, and and their two main faces were like, yeah, we don't care about that anymore. We're done with it. And yeah. and when they when they started enunciating what their take on Christianity was, it was basically the seeker sensitive meets prosperity type of thing. And it was like, well, no wonder you left it because you were you were sold a bill of goods. There's yeah. nothing there for you to latch on to. And so I think what a lot of people end up doing in the traditional camp is they say, see, the modern people are just about the show, and they kind of have this overreaction. Whereas the modern people say you traditional people only care about your traditions, where right. neither of those necessarily are true. You have That's fringes right. on both sides. That's exactly right. I mean, when, when I was, again, in my 20s, coming out of college, coming into you know my career in ministry, um, the, 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 the narrative was... We got all these people leaving the church and leaving mm-hmm. the faith because traditional worship is so dry and boring. Right. It doesn't move anybody. People are not experiencing God. We're just going through. Whoops. We're just going you through. You me right there. Yeah. I the just mic stand. Bump the mic. <laughs> um, we're just going through the motions. Right. So now we got to do all this new stuff and there's got to be this new flair that inspires everybody again. And now here we are. We've got, what's his name from Hillsong? Marty something or other? Marty Sampson. Sampson, who's abandoned the faith, uh, or at least he says he has. Um, and he is part of, or was part of, the pioneering church of modern worship. Mm-hmm. At least one of the pioneering churches oh, yeah. of modern worship. Um, and and that that's uh, to me, that just proves my point, is that what matters most is what's being taught and why we're worshiping, understanding why we worship more so than the style that we do. And, you know, if, if, if we go out looking for a church that has this perfect mixture of tradition and modern and liturgy and organic and uh, lights and smoke, but also uh, stripped down and simple. You, you start, you, you get tied up in knots and all that stuff, and what gets lost is the point, I right. think. And I read this article that, I can't remember who wrote it, um, but somebody was talking about Marty Sampson and his you know recent abandoning of Christianity. And he, he referenced some of the things that Marty said in his post about, you know, you know, there are contradictions in the Bible, and nobody's talking about it. There's, um, I forget what. What color is the sky in your world? <laughs> well, and, and the question that was asked in this article was, what kind of Christian world have you come from? Yeah. Because if those questions aren't being asked and wrestled with, then there's a problem in the church. Because, yes, 
There are things in the Bible. I've been pastoring for 20 years, been studying the book faithfully and consistently for these 20 years. And there are still things that I read and I go, what? Mm -hmm. I can't connect those dots. I can't make sense of that. And that seems like a contradiction to me. And I still have those kinds of things. And if we're unwilling in the church to have conversations about those things, um, to if we're just caught up in our lights and smoke or our, you know, stripped down kumbayas, and that's our focus. Right. I mean, that, that's why I say to, to Brad and to everybody, just find a church that's committed to living under Scripture, wrestling with Scripture, praying, seeking the guidance and help of the Holy Spirit, um, and serve, right? Yep. Just yep. serve that church in the best way that you possibly can. Let your gifts contribute to that body. And I think the style will take care of itself. Yeah, I shared a uh, a quote from Bodie Bauckham on my personal Facebook page recently that seems pretty relevant. He said, Our worship is not a response to how Jesus makes us feel. Our worship is a response to Jesus' worth regardless of how we feel. That's right on the And, money. you know, we, we've been talking about chasing experiences. You can chase an experience just as much in a traditional church. Like, we even talked with... Uh, in one of the really early episodes with, with Seth Kane about having more of a liturgical thing mm-hmm. and how that brings comfort. Mm-hmm. And you can, like, that's a good thing, mm-hmm. uh, but there can be too much of that good thing where you're finding your comfort in the liturgy yep, as opposed right. to just knowing that you're going to be fed with word and sacrament on yep. Sunday. Yep. Uh, you can you can get your comfort in, I know that the lights are going to go dark and there's going to be a bunch of reverb on the guitars. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and and you're going to have just your me and Jesus moment with your mm-hmm. eyes closed, and you're not going to worry about everybody else around you. Yep. That's, yeah, just, you know, I'm in a faithful church. I talked about this on your dad's podcast um, recently. Again, when we were in Mexico, we went to this church. They take communion every week. Mm-hmm. That's a part, they're very modern, but they take communion every week. And their pattern is they do a couple songs. And then one of the pastors will come up and give a little explanation of communion. It's very brief, very short. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have communion stations set up around the sanctuary. And another song is played, and the people just file out to the closest station, yep. grab the elements, go back to their seat. No one leads them through. Mm-hmm. Okay, they You can just take communion at whatever point you're ready during that song. Yeah. Now, I don't have a problem with that necessarily. Right. Um, For me, what I told your dad when we recorded was, for me and I think for my wife, in that moment, that was really powerful. Yeah. And it was because we were able to focus our attention, root our thinking uh, in Scripture and know what we were doing, why we were doing it, and why it's significant. I didn't I didn't need a pastor to lead me yeah. through any kind of liturgy to take the elements of communion in a corporate worship setting without being led through them. I didn't need that in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could worship Jesus, remember him, and it was powerful. But I found myself asking the question, can everybody in this church do that? Mm-hmm. So it, it it's not necessarily either or. Sometimes it's just what's best. 
Right. What's best for this body? What's best for this group of people, you know? Um, because my tendency here at Res is when we take communion is to lead people through it and guide, help guide their thinking, root their thinking in Scripture, what the Bible says about communion and why we're doing it. Because I'm not sure that everybody that's gathered with us fully understands that. Right. And I want them to. Right. So that's what. So some level of liturgy around the table mm-hmm. is good for res. Yeah, and and speaking of things that like knowing what your church needs, we've done that with with song lyrics where exactly. we've broken down song lyrics and and we didn't uh, we chose not to do uh, so will I a hundred billion times mm-hmm. partially because of that one line of, uh, as you speak, a hundred billion creatures or something evolving in pursuit of what you said, mm. um, regardless of one's take on creationism or evolution or whatever, there's just going to be too many people that get hung up on that line and yeah. can't get past it. Yeah. Um, so we're not, we're just not going to do that one just to not cause people to stumble. Whereas there's so many other songs out That's there right. that aren't going to cause any kind of issue like that. That's right. You know, it, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just, <laughs> I'm 42 years old now and I find myself, like when you guys, you guys opened with uh, Glorious Day yesterday. Yes. Big song, right? Get to play and drop D. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and and there's a part of me that really enjoys that. Like, oh, I yeah. really appreciate it. And I love that song. Yep. Because I love, you know, like some people might hear that song or sing that song and think that it's a little bit theatrical. Uh, I've heard people say that. Um, and I can get that. And I'm I like, get that. I but at the same time, it's like I sing that song and I'm thinking about passages that talk about my deadness were it not part apart, apart from the grace of God. Yeah. So that's great. I love that. You and then at, you look at Ephesians 1 and you can you, you can connect that plus the resurrection plus the the story of Lazarus. Absolutely. Lazarus, come forth. And then he did. He did. <laughs> and then I forget what the next song you guys did was. Um, let me let me check. But <laughs> but then... Champion. Champion. So you did Champion. Another song that's kind of big um, and emotive, I think. Sure. Um, it, it, it calls for emotion. We will shout it out from the mountaintops that our God is good. He's overcome. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a real emotive element to that song, which I'm great with. Yeah. And then you guys did the Shane and Shane hymn. Yep. And I felt like I appreciated every song we did, but when we got to that hymn, there was a bit of an exhale for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. I, it's not because I did not value the songs that led up to it. I did. But yet there was something refreshing about that, that I right. think is, you know, we need... To be able to incorporate variety, and we need to be able to embrace um, different styles and different, you know, different music styles and different styles of lyrics. Because I think there's style in the lyrics too. Some lyrics are more emotive; they're, yep. they're meant to generate emotion. And I think some of the psalms are that way. Oh yeah. But at the same time, it's also good to sing a song that, you know, makes me think of Ephesians one and two. Right, right. Like very specific. Very specific. It makes me think about that, or it makes me think about, um, you know, the Lord's table. Even you know, um, there is a you did. There is a fountain filled with blood, Mm -hmm. and and that's like that is a, that's poetic, 
but it is also very, um, I don't know, it just drives me to the cross, right? And yeah. I think that, and that it was gives good. You, it gives you a deeper perspective a lot of times, too, because most, and I've said it a billion times again, so many of the modern songs are kind of in the here and now. And yes. there, there's absolutely a place for that. Sure. Um, but, you know, the last verse of There's a Fountain, ever since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Yeah. You know, mo- most of the modern stuff, like death is kind of an afterthought. Like, that, that's right. You know, God God is one. We don't have to worry about death. But the older, the older hymns, uh, especially written before the advent of modern medicine, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. death was a lot more front and center than we have now, where yep. we where we typically just like, you know, ship off our old people to nursing homes, and we don't have to watch them die in front of us and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so so they actually had to reckon with these things of, you know, some pretty heavy, eternally important things that we just don't think about. Now, of course, they weren't perfect. They miss some stuff that the modern stuff gets right. Yeah, but you know, and I, sometimes I wonder, like, what is what what is so fascinating to millennials about the hymns now? And and you know, you can you can comment on this because you're closer yeah. to that generation than I am. I am that generation. You actually. are. I guess yeah. you are. Yeah. yeah. So don't let is, the gray hair fool you. <laughs> what, what is so fascinating about it? Is it just style? Is it that it's you know it's like. You look at the fashion, current fashion right now, and it's all going back to the 80s and right. 90s. It's like, you know, I, I've lived, I feel like history's repeating itself in my lifetime already. And um, so what is it that's so fascinating? My hope is, honestly, mm-hmm. that millennials are, I guess, appreciating exactly what you just said. Yeah. That, you know, a lot of the modern worship that's come out in the last 20 years is... It has a bit of a sort of a liberation theology element to it, where you're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a. I hadn't thought about that label before, but that yeah, makes sense. It it really does, and I think you know, it, there's no way that, um, you know, churches like Hillsong that you know lean at, at least lean towards a prosperity word of faith bent, um, and others are not going to even elevation, where mm-hmm. I don't think verdict is word of faith. But not, he does have, <laughs> but he does have a lot of liberation. Yeah, he's getting he's getting there. He's yeah. tending that way. He's tending that way, and so that's going to affect the the lyrics and the songs, right? And it's not that we there isn't a place for us to sing about hope for tomorrow. You know, hope for today. Um, and, you know, coming through the struggle. Yep. You know, com- coming on on the other side of pain, there being blessing and joy. Like mm-hmm. there, like God you know, delivering on his promises and uh, bringing us through the storm. I mean, we need Mm -hmm. to talk about that, but we also need to talk about that. You know what? This whole life is a, is a light and momentary affliction. Right. And death is not my enemy anymore. Mm -hmm. Death is actually my friend. Death is the, you know, what Paul says in Philippians one, you know, it's, it's, to, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And, and the hymns take us back there. And so my right. hope is that, that that's what's driving millennials to really appreciate them. Yeah, I think we see, you know, we've grown up with so much technology. Uh, my dad being an IT guy, I've been on computers since I was two. Yeah. With with DOS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember Windows 3.1 and 95, 98, etc. 
And uh, so, like, the internet explosion was my childhood. Hmm. Uh, Facebook came out uh, six months, I think it was made public for colleges, for every college, about six months before my freshman year of college. Hmm. So my freshman year of college was still, like, the parents weren't on there, mm-hmm. little kids weren't on there, uh, our grandparents weren't on there. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. Um, so it was still, like, you had to have a .edu. Right. Um, and I believe it was also in college when the first iPhone was released. Yep. And I had, a, what was it, a BlackBerry Storm where the whole mm-hmm. screen clicked mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So with the advent of social media basically being my entire adult years, uh, everything has been transient. Mm-hmm. Like, we're connected to thousands of people, but how many people are you actually close to? Right. So uh, we, see, we see all this technological shift. We see cultural shift, uh, political shift, all of that. And I mean, you think about, so my, my first year of college was the fall of 2005. Mm-hmm. So we had Bush as president. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Say no more, right? That was four <laughs> years after 9-11. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting so old. Uh-huh. Uh, my knees worked. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't have a totally screwed up one. Um, but there's been so many changes that I think the hymns and more traditional stuff kind of give us something to latch on to that's not yeah. going to change. Yeah. Even if even if it has a more modern arrangement with gobs of reverb and swells and whatever, um, there's still something lasting there, whereas, you know, Elevation's going to put out a new album next year. We already know that. Yeah. You know, that, and that's, that's not good or bad. It's just we know that the next big thing is five minutes from now, and in internet years, last week is about the same as 10 years ago. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Uh, where things just, there's so much shift in transients all the time now. We used to have this uh, slogan here at Res. Uh, we used it years ago, uh, ancient faith, modern worship, timeless truth. Mm. And, you know, I don't know why we moved away from it. I think it's just over time you change things up. But sure. I, I really appreciated that when we used that um, because, and I, and I almost feel like, the that slogan would fit us better now even than it did then. Yeah. Because I I think I understand it and appreciate it more yep. um now, uh given where we are and just sort of what the Lord's doing in me and in our church right now mm-hmm. is that but I think that's right. I think we it's it's good for all Christians to realize that you know fads change, styles change and and it's fine to do modern worship. It's great to do modern worship, um, but we have an ancient faith. Yep, and we have a timeless. It's, truth. it's been around for a long, long time. time. It's, it wasn't just we often treat, and I've said it, another thing I've said repeatedly on this podcast. We treat church history like the Book of Acts and then Billy Graham. Yeah, it, it, and that you know that's something I've wrestled with a lot. You know, maybe that's another podcast episode. You know. Um, when my friend Seth made the shift into the Anglican church, one of the things that sort of slapped me in the face about that was the emphasis on church history yep. between the book of Acts and right. Billy Graham. Right. And it was not something that I had spent a whole lot of time on. And, you know, one of the books that I think I've recommended it on the podcast before that Seth gave me, it's right up there on my shelf, it's called Turning Points. 
uh, author's last name is Noel, and it focuses, that's the focus of that book. Maybe that'll just be my recommended reading again for today, because it yeah. talks about the significant moments between Acts uh, mm. and you know, or, or or at the end of the canon, and the and the things that happened that yeah. really, really shaped um, what we now know as modern Christianity. Yep. And um, I think knowing, I'm not saying everybody's got to be an expert on church history because certainly I'm not. You know more mm-hmm. about it than I do. Uh, but I think having those roots, I've really enjoyed reading this biography on Martin Luther that I'm reading. Oh now. yeah. Oh yeah. man, it's just. So rich. The guy could insult people like no. Oh, other. it's just so. <laughs> so when, when are we going to get some of those from the pulpit? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, some of those stories are just fascinating and eye-opening. You mm-hmm. know about how dumb we can be in the church. You know the the church in Wittenberg that he nailed the theses to on the door. You know that Wittenberg was founded by this, for all intents and purposes, a you know 16th century real estate developer. <laughs> uh, who saw an opportunity and w- w- to develop a town, a village, or whatever? Yeah. And his first thought was, you know, I'm going to put a church here, right? And in order to attract people to this town and to this church, he went and collected all these relics. Most of them were just bogus. Oh know, yeah, you know, a vial of, you know, Mary's breast milk. Yeah, literally. Well, and it's been said before that. Um, if you put together all of the supposed pieces of the cross, you could probably build the ark. <laughs> but, but relics, relics were the, the the way to attract tourism, right? And build a town, and 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 you know these kinds of things have happened in the church over centuries. That we something pops up, and everybody gets enamored with it, and we we just go all in and focus in on that direction, and I think we lose sight of the bigger picture. And for me as a worship leader, for Brad as a worship leader, for you, I think the thing is, you know, plug into a, 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 a body, a fellowship, a group of people and serve them, lead them in worship in the way that is going to best engage uh, their hearts and minds towards God um, and, and don't get too hung up. I'm not saying it's not important, but don't get too hung up on the the combo or the blending of styles between contemporary, traditional, modern, organic, all that kind of stuff. I think it's not that it doesn't matter at all, but don't get too hung up on it. Yep. All right. Let's uh, take a break here and move on to our Inquisition. So Tom Dugan asks a great question, and we're going to wait for John for this one. But he, cool. he asks, thoughts on pedo communion? So that'll be coming up <laughs> next week. Uh, we, you got you to have the pedo Baptist in, uh, <laughs> in for, to have a discussion on pedo communion. Oh, man. Um, Jared Hartley asks a gear-related question that you could actually even answer, Bradley. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, we know John uses string joy strings, so what string brands, and we can even get into pit gauge, because I know 
you have some stories regarding pit <laughs> gauges. Um, so what strings do you use on your acoustic? We use elixir, elixirs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Y'all said forgive me. I'm so not a gear. <laughs> <laughs> elixirs and their lights. Um, and is it the polyweb or nanoweb we use? I think it's the nanoweb because the, the polywebs usually feel a little slicker. And then yeah, I think so it's, it's the nanowebs. The, it's that the nanowebs. Um, I just like the way those sound and yeah. feel. Um, and they last forever. They do last. Uh, pick gauge for me is <laughs> all about how hard I play. Um, I mean, I I use really thin picks. I don't know what the gauge actual like point three millimeters. Yeah, I use really thin picks, and they have to have the grips on the end. Oh yeah, uh, for me because they slip out of my hands. My hands get sweaty. So use use uh, do you use the nylon ones then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in Mexico, I was asked to play guitar um, at the community and center, and then you broke it. <laughs> no, I didn't break it, but I was asked to play, and it was nine thousand degrees outside, and the only pick he had was a slick plastic one. Oh man. And I couldn't hold on to that thing to save my life. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I use the thin ones because I it, any thicker than that, I break strings. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I play so hard. Yeah, um, I uh, used to use uh, Ernie Ball strings, and I've transitioned to web strings. Uh, you can get them on webstrings.com. Um, I'm not big on the voodoo of strings. Like obviously, with Elixir, with the coating, they'll last forever. Um, but these are basically the same strings as anybody else, but for a lot cheaper. And you can buy them in bulk. And when my wife and I both play, mm-hmm. and we have a billion guitars in the house, it kind of helps cuts mm-hmm. down on cost. Um, I like to use skinny top, heavy bottom, so ten to fifty-two. Um, so those bottom strings retain some nice chunk um, for when I use when I do drop tunings. Yep, so yep. I'll take, I have, I have a guitar that stays at least a step down and I'll take it into drop B and that kind of thing. Uh, but I'll go to, I'll go down to drop C sharp with this 10 to 52 with no issues at all. Really? Uh, yeah. And it, it retains tension really well. Mm. Uh, picks. I am much heavier than you. <laughs> I use uh Dunlop Tortex one millimeter. Hmm. So you would you might hit something so hard that you'd cause a black hole or something. I, and, and I, I don't think I'm that intense a person, but I don't know what it is about music. But I just you just wail. I mean, I, nothing wrong with it. I mean, I have I have sort of big hands and and I play hard. Um, and you know, I just wear things out. Yeah, and I break. I you're, mean, you're I putting a not, hole in your guitar. It's I, awesome. I kept telling. You know, Zeke, I don't understand. I, I mean, I would break a string almost every Sunday in yeah. the middle of the set, <laughs> no matter what That's I did. just impressive. But then when I switched to those, whatever that gauge is of pick, it it stopped. Uh, Brian Morris asks, I know Cody has mentioned before uh, with growing up in the Church of Christ with no instruments singing all a cappella, but it almost seems like a lot of churches never do full acapella songs anymore. Hmm. Are we missing out when we don't utilize acapella arrangements? I, that would have been perfect for the previous segment, but... I think so. I I, I mean, we don't do that here. Um, yeah. But I do like when, you know, even like the... Not, it's not, it wasn't a cappella, but when, when you guys introduced that hymn on Sunday, mm-hmm. the first part of that song was so stripped down, it really accentuates the voices. Yeah. Well, at the very end, I'm pretty sure we backed all the way off on the instruments. We did. I yeah. think you did. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that would be the point. It's not just about being totally a cappella, 
But I think having some element in our worship where the voices stand out, not just right. the voices on stage, but the voices of the congregation, there's something really sweet about that. When we're, right. There's a real sense that we're singing together. So I think, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should try that, maybe experiment with that soon. Um, I love it. Brian Morris asks another question, which has, this is kind of a hot button topic, which could probably be an entire episode if we get the right guest. Um, thoughts on the Enneagram and evangelical Christianity's obsession with it. Ooh, have you heard of this thing? No. Uh, it's, it's a personality test. Okay. Um, and Western Christianity is just all about it. Um, there's also some, there's also some controversy around it because it has some pretty explicitly new age roots. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so the, the, it gets kind of hairy. I don't know all of the details, so we might need to research yeah. that and then talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but kind of my reaction to most personality tests is what Calvin says in the first chapter of the Institutes: is get to know God first. <laughs> if you know God, then you'll adequately know yourself. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, that's so. one of the reasons why I'm not a fan of uh, even spiritual gift tests. Yeah, because I think people. Self-focus tends to lead to, I don't know, I don't know, a misunderstanding really of we're trying to we're trying to understand ourselves instead of first instead of God first, and right. I I just think spiritual gift tests aren't really helpful because the way even if you think about. Think about it in terms of spiritual gifts and our contribution to the body. If that's the impetus behind this, yeah, is like helping people discover how they might contribute to the church or, right. or fit in the church. If see if that's the impetus behind it, and I don't know a thing in the world about it. Right. So disclaimer. But the scripture talks about spiritual gifts in a way that I think that helps us identify right. how we contribute to the body and gifts are not meant to be self-discovered. Right. The scripture's blatantly clear about that. Right. I, I always find myself with those tests trying to answer based on what I want to get out of it. You that's, know? That's, that's what I was trying to say. Whereas the Bible tells us that gifts were affirmed in the context of Christian community. Right. Hands were laid on people. Right. People prayed together and gifts were identified and people were sent out and that's it's a body thing. It's not a self-identify thing. Yeah. So one more question. Uh, Lee Harrison asks, is the rest of your family, wife, parents, siblings, as into theology? <laughs> so, I mean, my wife pretty much is. Your, your wife is definitely. Yeah. Um, she's, she's a British and Roman history nerd, mm. which syncs up really well with me really appreciating the Apostolic Fathers and the Reformation. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like, she'll read Josephus or Tacitus or whatever, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, like Polycarp. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> or she'll read about the Tudor dynasty and, uh, oh, yeah, with Luther's writings getting in with Cromwell and whatever. And uh, so that's fun. Um, parents, I mean, have you heard the ad? Yeah. <laughs> Your dad definitely, <laughs> yeah. Seven Days podcast. Yeah. Um, and, man, like, my mom has led women's groups forever, maybe not with as much structure in terms of, like, confessional, creedal type of stuff, but she's definitely been involved forever. Um, yeah, so for the most part, yeah. I can't say that, um, I mean, I'll start with my wife. Um, she's not, 
she's not the type to pick up, you know, heavy theology books and just read. I sure. Mean, that's not, that's just not her. She, we, she reads scripture and we talk about scripture yeah. and we wrestle with that. I mean, but that's not, that's not, she's not going to go read like, you know, the institutes or, you know, uh, you there's know, always, been, there's always been, time. There's always time. <laughs> she, she's been intrigued by this Martin Luther biography, but, um, my family dynamic though was more, I don't know. It was more conversations were more centered around, um, maybe people that we were praying for and, and within those conversations would be talk of scripture, but not really a whole lot of academic type. Sure. Theological conversation. So no, I wouldn't say that's part of my family dynamic. Sure, sure. Um, all right, well, let's get to our recommended thing. Remind us of that church history book. So Turning Points, uh, last name is Noel. Um, I'll get the whole name for you. Um, Turning Points. Uh, one thing that... My big hands that break guitar strings also don't type well. <laughs> on um, you need by one Mark Knoll. You need one of those phones that's basically as big as a tablet. So, <laughs> well, but then it doesn't fit in my pocket well, so I'm not. So it's Mark Knoll. Um, turning points. Uh, great book. Decisive moments in the history of Christianity. Uh, it's 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 a fairly easy read and mm -hmm. would help someone that says, you know what, I don't really know a thing in the world about church yep. history. I don't know what to do with that, how it might inform my perspective on the modern church. That's a great book, great place to start. Um, and so, yeah, that would be my recommended for awesome. today. I'm going to re-recommend, just because we're still in Romans 9, uh, the James White Romans 9 debates <laughs> uh, <laughs> that he had against Leighton Flowers, who is staunch anti-Calvinism, and Steve Tassie, who is a Calvary Chapel pastor. Uh, nothing against Calvary Chapel. They're, they're great people. Um, but James White will call them non-debates because the, uh, the opening statement was supposed to be uh, just reading through and exegeting Romans 9. Mm. And in both debates, he was the only person who did that. Mm. <laughs> um, where he, uh, basically the purpose of the debate was to show the Reformed position can actually do this and stay consistent with your with your methodology all the way through. And one of the infamous uh, questions in the cross-examination with Leighton Flowers was, so would you use this same exegetical methodology to prove the deity of Christ? And the response was, um, no. <laughs> and and if, if you can't be consistent with your methodology, then mm -hmm. something's wrong. Yeah. Um, so listen to those. They're really long, so they're really good to have on in the background. Because <laughs> yeah. they're like three-hour debates. Yeah. Um, or even do them in, in a couple different sittings. Um, but they're... They're really instructive and, and really well done. And you actually see James White get really sarcastic with Steve Tassie because it just turned into such a dumpster fire. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, so anyway, uh, follow us, comment on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and leave a five-star review as always. Just give us five stars. We don't care if it's honest. If you hate it, give us five stars. Uh, support the show at anchor.fm where you can donate money and help us improve. Uh, we added a... Uh, a choice to the whole donate $10 a month for a year and, and get a pedal. You can now get a Wycliffe Fuzz or a Piper Drive version 2. 
Uh, so now we're going to leave you with Drew Smizer's demo of the nose pedal dual mode mod on the Boss DD7. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, what's up? This is Drew here. I'm excited to show you um, about a new mod coming out from Nose Pedal. Um, it's two Boss Delay pedals. Uh, I've got right here a DD7. Um, and this is an awesome mod. It's it's called the Dual Mod. Um, a lot of people have done this one in the past, but what really sets this one apart coming out of Nose, um, right here, if you see, there's this little blue knob down here. Um, that's not a cable plugged in. It's actually a knob down there that controls the second mode for your pedal. There's no need to open up your pedal, you know, get a little screwdriver, adjust the trim pot. Um, it's such a huge uh, difference and it makes it so much easier to set these settings. Um, let's get into it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how this thing works. I'm playing a PRS-S2 Studio um, through a compressor pedal and I'm going to be playing with these 1689 from Westminster Effects as well as the Edwards Overdrive from Westminster Effects um, into the DD7. Uh, to kind of give you an idea of just how cool it is, how awesome it is, um, how usable it really is. Um, here's my clean tone real quick. Pretty typical. I'm going to add in the 1689 for a little bit of overdrive and get some dotted eighth going with mode one, and I'll switch it into the modulate mode, which is in mode two. Just click it on as normal. Yeah, so that shows you just a little bit of how this dual mode mod works from Nose Pedal. Um, I'm going to play us out. I'm going to click on the Edwards Overdrive and just play a little more. Here we go. <laughs> 